welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 16th of November 2014, entitled Dedicating a Child to God, and the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Luke chapter 18, we'll be reading, beginning in verse 15 and reading through verse 17. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's most precious and holy word, beginning in Luke chapter 18 and verse 15. And they brought unto him, speaking of Jesus, also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Father, we thank you this morning for this glorious privilege that we have. Lord, first of all, just to be here, to have life, to have breath. Lord, not just to have physical life, but to have spiritual life, to have everlasting life in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that we can be gathered in your house. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that my heart has been lifted and encouraged already in just singing the, the words, the praises unto you this morning. Father, we thank you that as we gather here that we can have the confidence of knowing that, Lord, your word that we've just read from is your word that's been preserved for us through the centuries. And Father, we take claim to that promise now that, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, Lord, that you will make these words alive, that you will speak to our hearts. Lord, some people may know why they're here this morning. They may be here out of just a sincere, genuine desire to worship you, to adore you, and to hear what you have for them. There may be some here that don't know why they're here, but you know every heart. You know every need. And I pray that you would speak to those hearts the words that man cannot speak, but that you alone can speak. I pray, Lord, that you would do the work within each and every individual here because, Father, there is not a one of us present that doesn't need a work in our lives. So, Lord, would you do that which only you can do, for which only you would receive the glory and honor and praise this day. For it's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Of course, Jesus here is in the midst of teaching some of his followers. And of course, as he's there, there were some that brought these infants, these children unto him. And they really just wanted his blessing upon them. That's all they were wanting. They were just wanting him to touch them. They knew that he had a touch like no other, that the touch of Jesus can do what no one else's touch can do. So they brought these children because obviously they loved them they wanted this special touch that Jesus could bring to their lives, but wouldn't you know it? His disciples, some of his followers, they saw them bringing these children to them, and the Bible says they rebuked them. You don't have time for these little kids. I mean, look here. You're standing here. You're teaching all these big, important people. and Now they're wasting your time by bringing these, these little ones along to you. Boy, Jesus, as he often does, he just hit them square between the eyes. Jesus called to them and said, suffer little children to come unto me. Bring those kids to me and forbid them not. How dare you keep them away? For of such is the kingdom of God. <laughs> These little children are what make up my kingdom. And then... <laughs> to show them who was really important. <laughs> they thought they had all the answers, that you had to be like them to deserve the time with Jesus. <laughs> he said, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not re receive the kingdom of God as a little child, like one of these little ones, shall in no wise enter in. Jesus says, hey, there is no way 
that you're going to get into heaven unless you come just like one of these little children. Now, there's a lot of things could be said there. A whole lot more could be said just on that thought than you're going to be willing to sit here and listen to me this morning, I can assure you. But Jesus is telling us, you know, we can't come in our grown-up strength, in our grown-up wisdom, and all these things that we've worked out, that we figured out for ourselves, if we come, we must come in the humility and innocence of a little child. These were little children. These were infants, they're called here. He said, unless you come like one of them, a child is dependent. That child totally, completely trusts that big person. Jesus says, unless you come like one of them, don't hope to ever see the portals of heaven. You're not going to enter in to God's kingdom. As we come today, it's a very privileged time for us because we come for this special dedication today. Just as these children were brought and presented to Jesus, that his touch might be upon them, that Jesus might touch them. Little Carla is being brought today to be presented to the Lord that his touch might be on her life. Why do we do something like that? Why did they bring these children just to get a touch of Jesus on their lives? Why did they want his blessing upon their lives? Why do we do it here today? What is it exactly that we're doing? Well, I want to give you a few simple thoughts. First of all, we're doing what we're doing today. We are bringing little Carla Literally, not just figuratively, literally to present her to Jesus. Just as these children were presented here, we bring her to present her to Jesus that his touch might be upon her now and throughout her life. There was a precedent set. We can look back into the Old Testament. If you look back into the book of 1 Samuel, you'll find that there was a lady there by the name of Hannah. You read the whole story, you find that Hannah was buried. She, she wanted to have children so bad, but, but she couldn't have children. And so she went to the Lord as she began to pray for God to give her that child. But she made God a promise. She said, God, if you will give me that child that I can't have myself, and in actual fact, folks, there is no life except the life that God gives. There is no life on earth that doesn't come from him. Don't kid yourself. You didn't come from some pot of cosmic stew somewhere or some big bang that nobody could figure out when or where exactly how it happened. Life came from God. Life continues to come from God. So Hannah goes as she prays to God. And I want you to notice just briefly in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, notice what it says here in verse 20 to 28. Wherefore, it came to pass that when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, the child was born, that she bare a son. And she called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man, Elkanah, and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up. For she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. She's talking about, okay, I'll wean this child. When I bring him to the Lord, I'm going to give him to God and he's God's forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good. Tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his words. So the woman abode and gave her son suck that she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him into the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And she slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, 
I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. I'm the same one that wasn't able to have a child and I stood right here praying to God and asking him to give me that child. For this child I prayed. And the Lord hath given me my petition where I ask of him. Notice what it says in verse 28. Therefore, because of that, because this child is a gift from God, because God's the one that gave this child for me, therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Very simple. She's saying, I recognize the fact that I only have this child because God gave him to me. And so because of that, I'm going to give this child back to God. God gave him to me, and now I'm going to give him back to God. There's also a New Testament precedent that is set and one of the most important of all, and that's found in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke tells us in Luke chapter 2, notice with me, if you would, down in verse 21. Luke chapter 2, down in verse 21, the Bible says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The precedent was set, Old Testament, New Testament. In other words, what we're doing here today, it's not something that we made up. It's not something that's just a tradition of this church or any other. The precedent for it is set in God's Word, both Old and New Testament, the children being brought and be presented to God. So we're here today, first of all, because there's a precedent set in Scripture that we are following. But secondly, we're here today because there is a purpose. We're not here just to enjoy the, the cake and the crisp and the things to follow. As much as I love seeing your smiling faces, folks, that's not why we're here today. And as much as you love hearing my voice, <laughs> that's not why we're here today. There is a purpose in what we do. What's the purpose of dedicating this child, little Carla, or any other child to God. Well, I want to say two things. First of all, be clear, very clear, as to what we are not doing here today. You don't see any font. You don't see any water to be sprinkled, poured, or immersed. This is not a baptizing. We're not here to baptize that child, as many would do in infancy. What we are doing, we have a precedent in Scripture for. There is no precedent in Scripture. There is nowhere in the Word of God that you find any baby being baptized. People do it because of tradition. People do it even because of pressure of families and whatnot. It amazes me. Why would you do something that is totally unscriptural, that there's absolutely no precedent for in Scripture because that some people made it up somewhere along the way? Why? We're not here to baptize a baby today. That's not Bible. We're not here to bring salvation through some ceremony. Many people believe that there's all these different things that you've got to do to get the grace of God, and, and one of them is bringing that child before God to be baptized, to give salvation to that child. Folks, the only biblical baptism is believers' baptism by immersion. That's all you'll find in Scripture. If you want to do something else, that's between you and God. You talk to him about it because he sure hasn't talked to me about it. We find that there's only one way of salvation. There is too many folks in this world today 
that's got too much of a good dose or a bad dose, I should say, of religion. Oh, they got their this, that, or the other. They've done this. They've done that. They've said their little prayer. They've got dunked. They've got sprinkled. They've got all these, these things done. So they're okay with God. We'll look in just a moment. There's only one way to be right with God. We're not here to baptize. We're not here to bring salvation. And we're not here to buy favors with God through our traditions. That's what many are trying to do when they christen a child. They're just trying to do something that will buy them a favor with God. We're not here to follow anybody's traditions. We're here to follow a precedent that has been set. We need to understand what we're doing. First of all, we are here to praise God for his gift of this child. Just as Hannah knew that that child was a gift from God, we are here. We are here today because this is a gift from God, and we want to give him praise. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 127, notice what it says, just a short psalm, Five verses there. And it says, listen, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. We are here to praise God. You see, the psalmist is saying, hey, God is sovereign. Whether you admit it or whether you like it or whether you don't, God is in control from the building of the house to the protecting you against the enemies to earning a living and having your food. God is far more crucial than all the efforts that man can put in. And it's God that makes that house a home. It's God that blesses that home with the children. They are in heritage. They are a reward. They're a gift from the almighty God of the universe. We're here to praise God for his gift. We're here to present this child to God following the example that was set with Samuel, that was set with the Lord Jesus Christ himself, we are here today to praise him and to present this child to God. We're here today to promise some things. <laughs> We're here to promise God that we, here today, parents, godparents, family, friends, church family, that we will all take our responsibility seriously, that we will fulfill our responsibility to this little child. We're also here to provide some things, to provide an environment for this child, both at home and in God's house, that this child can learn about God and that especially she can come to know him personally. She doesn't need to just know about this person. She needs to know him personally. We're here to purpose in our hearts that it is God's purpose for this child that far outweighs ours that is paramount today that God have control of her life because all that we can do is just in vain without God. We're here to pray. 
to pray to God. Just as we see in both of these accounts in Scripture, to pray to God for his blessing, for his hand, to be upon this child, his strength, his wisdom to enable her and us in all of these awesome responsibilities that are before us. You see, God has a purpose for every child's life. It's only in finding that purpose and living it out that any true success will be found. Last Sunday on Remembrance Sunday, we talked on the evening about making our life count. What's your life counted for? You see, if it's just for the temporal things of this life, you've had a pretty miserable life that will soon be over. But the things that are eternal, that's what matters. You see, we need to recognize God has a purpose for this life. And the most important thing is to find out what God's purpose is. To refuse that. Some people say, well, I'm not refusing God. Well, even to ignore that will mean certain failure. Doesn't matter how much worldly acclaim that a person can have. Doesn't matter how great that you look in the world's eyes. We're talking about in light of eternity here. Mother, you godparents that have been chosen to have a spiritual impact in this child's life, family that are here today, friends, yes, the church family, it is both your glorious privilege but also your solemn duty to guide this child in such a way as to make the will of God the greatest ambition in her life, that she seek to know God's way, that she seek to know God's path, that that's more important to her than where anybody else will try to get her to go or whatever path they'll try to take her down, that she's on the path that God wants for her. That's the task that you're called to. That's the task that I'm asking every one of you here today to consecrate yourself to. You may have seen and heard these figures before. They're pretty staggering. Do you know that just in England and Wales, there's a new child born every about 45 seconds? Calculate that out. That's like 700,000 new children being born every year just in England and Wales. Do you know that in the world that there's over four children being born every second? That works out to about 250 every minute on the clock. 15,000 every hour. 360,000 every day. Two and a half million new children into this world every week of the year. That's over 130 million. That's one three zero 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 over a hundred and thirty million children being born every year. So what's the significance of that, preacher? What what difference does that make to us? So all these kids are being born out there. But every one of those numbers represent a life, a child. A life that is a gift from God. A life that is only made possible by God. And every one of them, every one of them are born into a sin-cursed world that we've been talking about for some time on Sunday mornings. Each and every one of them Inheriting that sin that is passed on to them from their parents. 
a sin that will always in every instance result in death. I say, but preacher, they're just innocent little babies. Babies? Children? Yes. Innocent? Well, they might be in the sense that they don't know what they're doing yet. <laughs> they don't know any better as yet. But they're guilty of sin, not because of what they've done, but because of who they are. They will commit sin because of the sin nature that they're born with. They won't have to be taught it. <laughs> you see, every one of us here today, everyone that's listening and hearing my voice right now, every one of us were born sinners. Is that fair, some say? Well, might I remind you that it was not God that chose that we be born that way. God, though sovereign and all-powerful, instead of creating you as some unfeeling, uncaring robot that was just programmed to do what he wanted, God gave you a mind. God gave you choices that you will give an account for. God gave Adam and Eve choices in the garden. But we've been looking at the acuteness of man's fall. That sin, that one sin, the worst choice that anybody could ever have made to rebel against God's wishes. As a result, we know that's when that sin nature that was born in Adam, the Bible says when sin entered in, so did death. There was no death till sin came. And that sin nature is passed on to the children. Always. Every one of them. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or a non-believer. It doesn't matter what faith that you might belong to or not belong to. It doesn't matter what you believe or what you don't believe. Because of who you are, you will pass that sin nature on to that child. It wasn't God's doing. It was our doing. As we've seen in the garden, one of the first things that man wants to do is blame somebody else or something else instead of taking responsibility for my sin. It's not easy to take responsibility for this. I'm reminding you today that as this child is presented to God today, as the millions upon millions around the world are being born, that the responsibility that we have is too big for me to get you to understand it. It's too awesome. Because unless we that know the truth pass that truth on, they'll never know it. They'll never have an opportunity you see, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, you say, Preacher, are you sure about all that? Romans 5, 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It started with one man. And that sin brought death. It's been passed on to everyone. Psalm 51 5, the psalmist says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 58 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born. Speaking lies. Romans 3 23. Or A-L-L, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
<laughs> you may have excelled in all of man's areas. The Bible's not saying how you compared to any other human being. You may be the best there is, but it compares to the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. One sin brought death. You see, there are so many scriptures, and these are just a few, that make it clear. It is not God's desire for this child. Matter of fact, it is not God's desire for any of these millions of children being born, even as we sit here this morning. It's not God's desire for them to face the death sentence that is a result of the sin nature that they've been given. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Well, I like the second part. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to do something about it. He didn't wait for you to get better. He died for you while you were a sinner. Romans 5, 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, Jesus, shall many be made righteous. The greatest purpose that God has for little Carla and for any of these other children that are being born, as well as, may I say, any human being, including you, that might be sitting here still breathing and ticking this morning, God's greatest purpose above all else is that Carla might have life, that all those millions of children might have life, that you might have life, that you might have everlasting life, that you might have his free gift through Jesus Christ. That's the only way to get it. Paul, when he began his letter to Timothy, said in 1 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. I am what I am because of God's will, because of the promise that he gave me through Jesus Christ. He said just a bit further down in verse 9, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God loved Carla so much. He'd already made a plan for her life as well as for years before the world even began. You see, God undoubtedly has many purposes for little Carla's life, as he does for every child. But I'm reminding you this morning that none of those other purposes matter if we miss this one. The same in your life. You can have all these great purposes being fulfilled in your life. But if you miss this purpose that God has for your life in giving you life, and taking away the death sentence that comes with your sin by giving you the glorious gift of life that can only come in Jesus Christ. Only then can those other purposes be known. Only then can they be fulfilled. How does that life in Jesus Christ, how does it become a reality? You see, I don't have time to go through all the scriptures this morning. By the grace of God, I've spent a big chunk of my life reading this book and studying this book, and the older I get and the more that I get in there, 
the more that I find that I don't know. <laughs> the more that I see the wonderful depths, the more that I say, how can I ever, ever? I mean, it's so much bigger than I ever thought possible. You see, people don't drift away from God because they spend too much time with him and too much time in the Word. It's because they spend too little time. In Ephesians chapter 2, a familiar passage, I'm only going to read it and move on, but I want to remind you that it's not what we're doing today, but it's by God's grace that little Carla can know God's purpose and that you can know God's purpose in your life. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, hath made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Your life, you're never, ever, ever going to get to those good works unless you go through Jesus first. You see, I give you this this morning, and I give it to you again. It's probably the most important thing that you'll ever hear in your life, whether you listen to it, whether you tune it out. May I say to you today, that whoever you are and wherever you sit, you will face God with what you do with these one day. We see all these things. See, we're not here to save her today. We're not here to baptize her today. We are here for a purpose. That's that God's purpose would be done in his time in her life. How can God's purpose be fulfilled? How can it start in Jesus? Romans chapter 10 Verse 9 said, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what's the next verse? This is where responsibility comes back to you. You see, one day, Little Carla will have the choice to call upon God or not call upon God just as each one of you would decide here today. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? For it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. There's only one way that Carla's life will ever be everlasting. That's when she makes that choice. Our responsibility is that she hear and know the truth. That's our responsibility to everyone. You see, I want you to understand, there is a precedent for what we're doing here today in Scripture. And there is a purpose for what we are doing. And in the many that we could look at, the greatest purpose of all is that we commit to do all in our power the little Carla 
and others like her come to know the truth and come to know personally the Lord Jesus Christ. Parents, godparents, family, friends, church family, it is your glorious privilege and it is your solemn duty to guide this little life in such a way that she'll know the will and purpose of God, that that'll be her greatest ambition in life. Yes, that precedent, that purpose. But may I give you thirdly, there's a partnership. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6, 4 says, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Jenny, I want you to know the responsibility you have is great, and only you can answer to God one day, but Jenny, you're not alone. You're not in this by yourself. As a matter of fact, none of us can do it alone. You see, there are many passages we could look at, but you need to realize, first of all, from these and others, that that partnership, yes, is between you and your child, but it's between you and your child and the God of heaven. He's always there with you. And I say, man, you know, how can I possibly do this? How can I handle all of this? The job is too big. Well, nothing is too big for God. You see, God is with you. He wants you to train this child in his ways. He talks here about bringing that child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That word nurture is simply talking about training and caring for that child and meeting that child's needs. The admonition is the, is the correcting, the disciplining of that child and teaching it the right way. Nurture and admonition of the Lord, of the Lord. You see, that child needs to grow up to respect the Lord and who he is, his ways, his word, the very foundation of all life. He says, now, don't provoke the child to wrath. That's anger. In other words, he's not asking you to be unreasonable. This training is to be done with the same kind of love and devotion that God has for you. God's love is never in question. God is love. Even when he's correcting you. Even when discipline is necessary in your life. You see, God's love is always a giving love. It's always what I can do, how I can help how I can make your life better, not what you can do for me, not what it'll make me feel like. God's sacrifice for you was to pay the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus on the cross proved his love. For God so loved that he what? Gave. He loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. How do you put that kind of devotion and love into words? I want to share with you a little story. It's a story that is an excerpt from a book entitled My Mother Played the Piano. The author of this book was at a regional cross-country race of young people, and he witnessed something that he said was one of the most wonderful and moving things of his life, something that was more beautiful than he could ever express in words. At a track, at an athletic field, there was a class of girls that were out there. And they were coming to the close of a race. And suddenly he saw this lady that had to be 40-plus years old. She was in her heels and her fancy uh, uh, skirt and her purse and all these things. And suddenly, this lady was out there on the track as she was running along with these girls. But that mother seemed to only have eyes and see 
that one child. That child was running awkward and she was beginning to stumble. Her hair was coming all undone and she was just about to the end of her strength. This mother running along saying, run, Tammy, run. Run, Tammy, run. Hundreds of people in the crowd and all these people shouting and screaming. But this mother was determined that that child would hear her voice. Run, Tammy, run, she pleaded. You see, there was absolutely no way this child could win the race. (laughs) The voice of her mother wasn't telling her that she had to win. Her mom was just urging her to finish, to finish the race. I mean, this child was in trouble. Her muscles had begun to cramp. Her breath was ragged and coming out in gas. Her stride was broken. She was faltering. She was in the last stage of her weariness. But then, just before she collapsed, something happened. She heard her mother's voice. And it was almost like a transformation took place. Suddenly she, she, raced, she straightened up and she regained her balance and her rhythm and, and she began to run better. And though she was way at the back of the pack, she crossed the finish line. And as she crossed the finish line, she just collapsed into the arms of her mother. And he said the two of them were just laying there on the grass and they were crying a while and they were laughing a while. But he couldn't tell if they were having the best or the worst time of their life. <laughs> but it was like nobody else in all the world except that mother and her daughter. You see, Carla's in a race. All of our children are in a race a different and far more important one than some athletic field, some school track relay. They're running a race that requires even greater stamina, courage, and character. He said, train a child in the way he should go. That's an awesome responsibility. And you know something? When you finish the job... Can't go back and do it over again. This partnership, it is one between you as a parent and your child, a bond that nobody else can have, but it's also between you and that child and the Lord. But there's also others here today, Jenny, to come alongside. Others here today that we ask to make a promise not only to Carla, but to you, the family, the friends, these godparents, the church family. You see, there's commitments to be made by all. Why is that important? Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he is not another to help him up. And it goes on, and as it comes to end, it says, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I think that I showed you this once before, but I want you to understand how important that this is today, what we're talking about, how vital that it is. Andrew's a pretty strong lad here. Can you tear that in half for me? I told you he was strong. I mean, that, that's pure wood. <laughs> He's so strong. Tear that in half for me. See, that was a bit tougher, but he didn't have any trouble with that, did he? It was a bit tougher than that first one was. 
He's really strong. Tear that in half for me. Come on, we know you're strong. Oh, see, all right. <laughs> Tear that in half for me. You think he's strong enough to do that? <laughs> you see, that's just a simple picture of what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. When it's one, you can tear it so easy. You put several of them together, boy, it gets harder. When you're bound together, you're strong. You'll be able to withstand because the enemy will, I promise you. There is absolutely no doubt one of the reasons that it is so vital that we present this baby to God today is because the enemy will be after her. The enemy does want to destroy her life. The enemy does want to keep her from the truths that we've talked about. There is no question about that. But Jenny, there's a precedent that's set for what you're doing. You're following the example of Scripture. There's a purpose. That's God's purpose in her life. That's what we want. We want his touch upon her. But there's a partnership. You got God. And you got people here today that are saying, we'll come alongside. We'll do what we can. We want to help because together, together, we can better protect her from the enemy than anyone or few on their own. You see, to all of you here today, that glorious privilege, that solemn duty that we have, part of it is to make sure that this child is prepared for the challenges of life that are going to come against her, that she's able to finish the course that is set for her by God. She doesn't have to beat everybody else. She needs to finish the course. That's what Jesus said when he hung on the cross. He said, it is finished. That's what the apostle Paul said when he got to the end of his life. I finished my course. <laughs> you see, that's what we want to help her do. Not to beat anybody else, but to finish the course that God has before her. How can we accomplish that? How can we train this child in the way that she should go? Folks, there's only one way, and there's only one hope. There's only one guidebook to follow. The world can give you all kinds of ideas, and many of them are well meant. But God's ideas are the best ideas. God's Word, God Himself. You see, when they start that race in life, oftentimes they'll take that gun, they'll hold it up in the air, and they'll pull the trigger. Bang! Well, in little Carla's life, the gun's already been fired. The race has already begun. Jenny, there's going to be times when things happen in her life that you're going to probably feel like your heart is going to burst. There's going to be some times when you see the child struggling so much, but you need to be there to say, run, Carla, run. Finish the course. Sometimes they get weary. Sometimes the race is very demanding upon them. Then they look around and they see all this sin and hypocrisy and all that's around them. They hear all these other voices some of them telling them to, to quit, to get off that path, not to go that way. There's no way they can win. Sometimes they may even lose sight of the goal. They may be stumbling. Jenny, that's when you need to be there to say, run, child, run. Run. Stay the course. Finish the race. Sometimes... Just like the mother in our story. Sometimes you may need to even get out there and run right along beside her. Sometimes you may need to get right up there and you need to get your words above all the, the rumble of the crowd and everything else. She needs to hear those encouraging words. 
That's our job. Be there to help you. What if Satan convinces her that she can't win? <laughs> what if she loses sight of that great truth? Well, that's why the responsibility is awesome. We can't make her stay the course. We're there to encourage her, to encourage her, to shout those words of encouragement, to be there, to help her when she's struggling. Parents, godparents, family, friends, church family, we do what we do here today because there is a precedent that God has given us. There is a purpose that is greater for this child's life than any other that could be before. And there's a partnership. Oh, yes, Jenny's in it with God, and that's most important. But she's in it with each of you, her family, her friends, her church family. They're there. She's chosen these godparents to be there to give special attention the spiritual guidance in this young one's life. We find that God tells us some things about promises. And I'm running out of time, and boy, I'd sure like to give you some more scriptures. I could probably preach for another hour, amen. James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It doesn't matter if we know all this and do nothing about it. It doesn't matter whether it's your salvation or whether it's this little one's life. He also says in James 5, 12, but above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, let your yes be yes, and let your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. I'm not asking you to take an oath today, but I'm going to ask Jenny to make some promises that she can only answer yes or no to. And I'm going to ask these godparents to answer some questions, and I'm going to ask you as a congregation. And God says in Ecclesiastes 5, 5, better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. In other words, you better take your yeses and your noes seriously. This is not just some religious ceremony. We are here today in the presence of God Almighty to present this child to him. He hears the answers, every one that is being given. Now, somebody would like to let them know in the back, I think Angela wanted to bring the children out as we present this child to God this morning. And I want to say to you that with God's sure promises. With these things in mind this morning, boy, I wish we hadn't run out of time. But with these verses that we've seen, you see, there's some promises that we need to make. Now, I'm going to ask you here today, not just to be hearers, but to be doers also. Our Father and our God, what a glorious, glorious privilege. What an honor it is. Lord, what a time to be able to come to you and to express our joy and thanks for this precious gift that you've given. Lord, yes, she is at an age now where she is totally and completely dependent upon others. And as she grows older, she will be making more and more of her own choices and her own decisions. Father, you've heard the promises that have been made here today. Lord, I pray that as these promises are made, that you will help give the guidance, the strength, the wisdom, Lord, to each and every one that they will keep the promises that they have made. But Father, as we present this child to you today, just as they were presented to Jesus, Lord, we present her for the same reason those children were brought to him, and that's for 
his touch upon her life. Father, we give her back to you. We pray that your will, that your purpose for her life be accomplished. And Father, as we ask for those blessings to be there for your protection, for your guidance, for your wisdom, for your strength, Lord, most of all for your grace, that one day she will come to know because of the godly teaching and training that she has had, the truths of Scripture that will point her to Jesus, that she'll more than just know about Jesus, but that she'll know Him personally as her Lord and as her Savior. The Father, she'll not only have this precious life that we give you thanks for here in the physical sense today, but that she'll have that life everlasting, that spiritual life that only Christ can give. So, Father, we present her to you at this time, recognizing and understanding. Lord, I pray for each of these that have made the promises. I pray for this dear mother. I pray for these godparents. I pray for the family, the friends, and the congregation here today. Lord, that you will help this not be just something that we have heard, but something that we will do. We give you the praise and thanks. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.